0: COVID-19 continues to just drag on and on, and we're doing all this shutdown stuff. It's been really interesting to me. as kind of a social experiment just to watch us, uh, humans, people, because we all react to it a little bit differently. Like all of our extroverts in the house are like, ah, I'm going crazy. Like I need someone to talk to. And like you're talking to pictures and magazines and you're still trying to schedule Zoom calls with people. No one wants to have a Zoom call with you. I'm sorry. We're over it. But you got to be with people and you're trying to get out. On the flip side, we've got our introverts, okay? And our introverts are like, oh, this is just what I always dreamed life could be. You know, Like everything's canceled, it's completely acceptable for me to stay home and not talk to anybody, it's wonderful. And so it's cool to see how we react on different ends of that spectrum. But, but this is what I've observed. No matter what end of that uh, you know, interaction spectrum that you, you like to be on, I, I've noticed that all of us are missing something. And I think what it is is we're missing the opportunity to be together. The things that we used to take for granted, that we did all the time, that sometimes are maybe a little annoying, uh, we miss. You know, or, or, just the simple things like do we gather together on Sunday mornings in person? Or, or we miss ball games and, and you know sporting events. We miss going to restaurants and and, and we miss celebrating things with parades and and going Fourth uh, of July. Okay, the city of Wilmington comes out and says there will be no fireworks for the Fourth of July, and everybody in Wilmington was like, "You want to bet?" <laughs> It's like fireworks everywhere. My neighborhood sounded like the Revolutionary War. It was like cannons going off everywhere. We're diving in the ditch. I, I love an explosion as much as the next guy. I love fireworks. I think they're really cool. But I think there's more to that whole firework phenomenon that we saw all over the nation, where even though cities were shutting down their fireworks, people were still shooting off fireworks. I think it's more than just rebellion. I think that there's something unifying about that. We love to be part of something bigger. We love to be invited to and involved in and included in something bigger than ourselves. And even if it's a little celebration, like shooting off, uh, whether it's like a tiny little firework that you got legally at some little side stand or one that you drove to South Carolina to get and your neighbors are a little bit scared, I think part of us did it as a unifying thing. We like to be involved in things bigger than ourselves. Do you remember when you were a kid and you got invited to a birthday party? What? I've been chosen. <laughs> you picked me? They like me. They really like me. You love it. Or maybe, maybe you're more like me, and you remember the feeling of not being picked or being picked last at the playground when they played kickball. And they're like going through it like everybody but Chris. And I'm like, school guys, I'll just go, I'll go fill up the water cups because you know you guys are gonna be real thirsty after all that. Kickballing and stuff. You know, We like to be involved, we like to be included, we like to be invited, we don't like it when we're left out. Today we're looking in the Bible at that story of what it means to be invited, to be included. And it's not only just a simple invitation, guys, it is the greatest, most broad reaching invitation ever in the history of all things, and we see it in the book of Acts. So, if you got your Bible, go ahead and flip over there. We're, we're right in the middle of this series, uh, through the book of Acts, uh, in the New Testament of our Bible. The book of Acts is a study, uh, or, or it's, it's the book about the beginnings of the church, and how the church got started, and how God used the church to start a movement that has changed The world, and it's a big book to go through, and so we've boiled it down to basically a a focus word each week, and so kind of a summary of each lesson. So we've been doing this every week at home. See if you can remember all the weeks. Uh, First week, do you remember the first week? What was the focus word? It was wait. Okay, and then the second week we met the helper. The word was helper. The third week there was a little bit of trouble. It was boldness. The fourth week was a lot of trouble. We experienced persecution. Okay, and last week we met the Apostle Paul. We also met him as Saul, but we saw his transformation. And so that's where we've been. If you missed any of those, as always, you can catch up on our podcast, or uh, I love to keep pushing our YouTube page. Go give us a like over there, youtube.com slash join the venture. And there's a playlist just for these Acts sermons, so you can catch up on any of those that you might have missed, or maybe you wanted to watch a second time. Um, But this week, we're noticing a trend that's happened in the previous week. All of, all of those lessons that we learned were only happening within a small group of human beings, the Jewish people, particularly the people that lived right around Jerusalem. And then as we meet Stephen last week and, and, and others, we, uh, or rather the week before, and we meet Paul, we, we, see, we see that like it's still spreading a little bit, but it's mainly in the Jewish community, which means that there is a huge group of people missing out on the message. They haven't been invited to the party. They haven't been included in what's going on. And this is a group that we generally refer to as the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Uh, and so ju- this is a little bit of a background. You might have already known this. I mean, if you grew up in church or went to Sunday school, vacation Bible school, like you probably know some of this stuff. But I want you to think about this world. Okay, there was this uh, wall. There was a wall between the Jewish community and the non-Jewish community. Not so much from the perspective of the Gentiles, but specifically from the perspective of the Jews. They shut themselves off, some for what was meant to be good reason and some for not so good reason. The the good reason stuff was for faith reasons. We read in the Old Testament of the Bible where God over and over instructs the Israelites to set themselves apart, to be different, and to to kind of stand out as weird among the other nations because of the way that they were devoted to their God. And one of the ways that they did this was they didn't uh, allow themselves to get too intertwined with the other nations, specifically when it came to marriage and building families. You weren't allowed to uh, intermarry with people of other faith groups because God told them, if you do that, you're going to adopt the faith of the other faith groups and you're going to do things, crazy things. You're going to bow down to false gods. You're going to worship demonic idols. And guess what? Well, the Jewish people didn't listen to that. And they start marrying into groups like the Canaanites and the Moabites and other groups. And guess what they do? They begin to bow down to the false gods and the idols and the demonic spirits It worked its way to the point where even some of the kings did some of those things, and it led to dark periods of time in Jewish history. Turns out God was right. It is good for us to, uh, in the most intimate relationships in our lives, to keep a distance with our faith. We We need to know that we can build our relationships on God, and everything else is secondary. That was one of the reasons why there was this wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. But there was another wall that wasn't so good, and that's the wall that we see today in our culture, and it it was the wall of racism, okay? And so, because there was this natural division uh, and this separation, many generations grew up with a a hatred of the Gentiles, and they used derogatory terms. One of the most common was that they called them dogs, uh, or or they didn't include them in business deals. They They didn't include them in their faith conversations. You can't know about our God. You're a dog. You can't be part of this conversation. And so, there are a variety of reasons why uh, they felt this way and how they acted it out. But th- there's, a, there's a wall. There's a wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's what we need to know going into this story. But today, we're in Acts chapter 10, okay? And that wall is about to be torn down definitively by God. It's his instruction and his direct uh, in- in- instruction to the church that this wall has got to go. Uh, and so here, which brings us to our word. We've used it already a couple of times today. Today's focus word is inclusion inclusion, the idea of being included in or or invited to be part of something. And we're gonna learn all about that as we look in chapter 10, starting at verse one. We're gonna meet a couple of new folks here. Acts chapter 10, verse one, let's go. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. That's our guy, Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Okay, this guy's a soldier. Uh, Caesarea, pretty important city uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea at this time. Uh, this is about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem, a good distance away, several days walk from Jerusalem. Uh, but it was the seat of Roman government at the time. And so very important city. If you wanted to get official things done with the, with the Roman authorities, you would go to Caesarea. Also, there were several Caesareas in, in the world. Uh, you hear the word Caesar in Caesarea, so it's kind of named after the Caesar. Um, but anyway, this is a major important city, and we meet Cornelius. Cornelius is living there, and he is a high-ranking soldier in a, a Jewish, uh, sorry, in a Roman army. Uh, now, now the centurions were an important rank. I mean, they were like the quintessential rank and uh, of the Roman army, okay? And so, uh, it was the highest uh, place that an average citizen could rise to be in the military. And so from that position, normally you had some of the best men in the country would be centurions. Now Cornelius was centurion and they were all virtually well-respected, good people, or at least good leaders. Cornelius though, was not a Jew. That's only important because of our story. However, he had converted to Judaism as his faith so not nationally and not ethnically was he Jewish, but by faith, he worshiped the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he followed Jewish, uh, Jewish law and things like that. So we get to verse two, and we're gonna meet a little bit more about uh, this story. It says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and they gave generously to those in need, and they prayed to God regularly. And one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came down to him and said, Cornelius Cornelius started, uh, stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up to, as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Uh, now, Let's back up on that I could be wrong about this, but I'm guessing this whole experience was a first for Cornelius. It mean, was the last time you, you know, were visited by an angel uh, when you were in your right mind. You know, like, so like, this is probably the first time this has ever happened to Cornelius. He handles it pretty cool, I think. He's a soldier. He's a leader, I think. But I'm thinking inside, he's like, what? But he's like, yeah, well, who is the Lord? Okay. And so he's told, and we also uh, get mentioned a guy that we've already met before, Peter. Do you remember Peter. Peter's a really important guy. We met him in the very beginning. He was the leader of the disciples. He was one of the guys who was sent back to Jerusalem to wait in week one. And we saw him in Acts chapter two, as he was the one who preached the sermon that led to over 3,000 people being baptized and, and the helper came. He was also at the center of the story about boldness. Uh, him and a guy named John get arrested. And so very pivotal person in the early church. Now he's in a place called Joppa, okay? and he's doing his favorite thing, which is to tell people that Jesus rose from the dead. So Peter has moved on to Joppa and he's preaching the good news about Jesus. Let's talk about Joppa, okay, we were up in Caesarea, now we're gonna go to Joppa. is also a major port city in uh, the Roman world and, and it still exists to this day. In fact, Joppa is the oldest continuously operating port city or one of them in the world, uh, in all the world. And it exists today, not as Joppa, but in the modern day city called Tel Aviv. That's pretty cool, maybe you've heard of Tel Aviv. Uh, Now, Joppa is about 30 miles south of Caesarea, okay? And to give you that geography, because it's about a two-day walk. And so there's gonna be a lot of walking going on in this story. We'll get back to our story, verse seven, okay? When the angel spoke to him, had gone, the angel who had spoken to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened and he sent them to Joppa. Angel said, go to Joppa. He said, all right, guys, go to Joppa, get something. And so they take this 30 mile walk and and they're approaching the city. And while they're approaching the city, we go back and we check in on Peter because Peter's gonna have another interesting situation just like Cornelius did. Check it out. This is in verse nine. It says about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to his roof to pray. He became hungry. He wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners and it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. It's a weird dream. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything that is impure or unclean Time out. This is weird. Okay, so modern day English reader of the Bible, American person, unless, like I said, you grew up in Sunday school and going to vacation Bible school or have really studied this, you're not picking this up. But Peter would have immediately recognized the symbolism of what's going on here. And let me catch you up. Uh, Jewish people then, and even many today still practice this, had a very specific dietary code. Uh, They called it kosher law. And so uh, many people, uh, they, they still follow this today, but but in the Old Testament, you can see um, kosher law play out. Basically, uh, in, in the Torah, it's part of what our modern day Old Testament is. There are instructions about foods that you can eat, foods that you cannot eat, uh, certain animals that are considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and therefore are not to be consumed by people. And so a Jewish person living under kosher law would immediately recognize these animals and be like, I'm not going to eat these things. So this sheet is full of these types of animals. These are, these are unclean animals. If an animal is unclean, you don't eat it. If an animal is not on that list, you can eat it. It's fine. Now, there were special ways you had to prepare certain foods, and that was part of kosher law as well. And, and we have a lot of kosher foods you're probably familiar with. You might have some kosher salt in your cabinet right now. You've probably eaten kosher pickles. It's not a name brand. Uh, kosher is just, it's an identification so that people who are using a kosher diet can know this is, this is cool for me to have. And so Peter, he sees this sheet full of these unclean, non-kosher animals. And it's kind of funny to me that Peter, it says he was hungry when he goes up to pray. And so he's hungry and he's thinking about the food that they're cooking downstairs. And he's like, this is a test. God's testing me. Like, this is a weird moment. God, why would you show me this vision of this sheep with all these unclean animals? But this is a test and I'm gonna pass it. No, Lord, I would never eat an animal that you call unclean, but this isn't a test. God wants him to know this is, this is a lesson. And so if you look ahead at verse 15, it says the voice spoke to him the second time. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. By the way, three is a very important number to uh, an Eastern thinker, specifically a Jewish thinker. And so that three represents like completeness or, or fullness. And so this happens three times, which I think to Peter would have symbolized like this is a big deal, I should focus on this. And then it says immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So that was part one of God's lesson for Peter. A confusing lesson, don't call anything unclean that I have called clean, sheet, down, up, eat. I don't wanna eat. That's part one. Part two of his lesson is walking up his sidewalk and is about to ring his doorbell. You remember Cornelius sending those guys down to Joppa? Here we go. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them." And so Peter has this bizarre moment. And, and, and Peter has, he's been part of all kinds of bizarre. Read the story of Peter all throughout the gospels. He has seen supernatural spirit things, spiritual things over and over. I wonder if he got used to stuff like that. I don't feel like you could ever get used to stuff like that. But whatever the case, the Holy Spirit tells him, like, there's gonna be some guys at your door, and then right about then, knock, knock, knock. Oh, wow. So he goes down. So the next morning, this group sets off together. They they head back up to Cornelius' house uh, in Caesarea. So now, verse 25. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for Jews to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So these guys come down from Caesarea to get Peter from Joppa. They take him back up. Peter's seen these crazy visions. And when he walks into the room and sees all these Gentiles, he puts it all together in his head. They become clear to Peter. Uh, just as God was telling him, listen, there are these animals that you've known as unclean. I want you to know that I'm calling them clean now. We're changing, we're changing the dialogue about this. And immediately, some Gentile people that Peter would normally not have associated with knock on his door and the Holy Spirit tells him to do what? Go with them. So that when he walks in to Cornelius' house, he gets it. He's like, this is a lesson. This is a lesson that God is opening up the doors and, and, and as if the Holy Spirit is nudging Peter in the ribs, it's like the Spirit is telling Peter, like, listen, go ahead, tell him. Tell them what you've been telling everybody else. And Peter begins to preach. It says, Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. It's inclusion. And then for six more verses, Paul goes on and he teaches more and he tells them about Jesus and he tells them about uh, the death, burial and the resurrection and the new life. He preaches the good news uh, of the Jews to the Gentiles who are listening and the wall begins to come down and we pick up his sermon at verse 42. It says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You know there are moments in history that are definitive. I mean they are they are earth-shattering life-changing history-altering moments. Maybe you remember some of them for the older generation watching. Maybe you remember JFK's assassination or or, or landing on the moon. Maybe you remember hearing, uh, or at least the days after hearing, Martin Luther King giving his I Have a Dream speech. I mean, these are moments that like, they they changed the fabric of reality for us. They really did. The younger generation is going to remember when uh, there were planes that flew into towers in New York on 9-11, and it altered the way we saw the world around us. Years from now, all of us alive today are gonna to remember life B.C., B.C., before Corona. You know, like we're all gonna look back and be like, ah, that changed everything. There are these moments in history that are just peg date moments that just change everything from that point on. And I believe that the verse that we're about to read, verse 44, so go ahead and get there. Verse 44 is one of those moments. In fact, I believe it's the most pivotal moment in all of history for all of mankind other than the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 44 While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jews in the room, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out. Listen to how this is written. It had been poured out even on the Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. A history altering moment. And that that day, the world changed. As modern people, I don't think we can fully appreciate the, the shift that happened, particularly in God's story on that day. And so let's take a minute to connect the dots on what that's all about. If you flip back the pages of your Bible, like all the way back to the beginning to the very first book, Genesis, you see the blueprint of, of God's plan was laid out some three, 4,000 years before Cornelius' house. It was laid out all the way in Genesis chapter 12. You meet the father of the Jewish nation. This is Abraham, okay? And, and Abraham, uh, he had no children, but he had a lot of faith. And so God comes to Abraham and he said, listen, Abraham, I'm gonna build out of you a great nation. And this nation is gonna bless all the peoples of the world. Abraham's like, I don't know how this is going to happen because I don't have any children. How are you going to make a nation out of me? I don't even have much of a family. But he chose to use the faith of Abraham as a foundation for his plans to reconnect the rest of the world with him. And so uh, we can read about this promise. This is in Genesis chapter 12, verse two and three. He says, I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whomever curses you, I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. That's a big promise. God told Abraham that all the people of the earth are gonna be blessed through him. Now, Abraham had no way of knowing how this was gonna happen, Uh, but he stayed faithful. He followed God to the best of his ability. He wasn't perfect. God allowed Abraham to have a child. His name was Isaac. And from Isaac, uh, a family tree grew. And that family tree, uh, you can, the rest of the entire Old Testament of the Bible is the story of that family tree and their shenanigans. And I totally recommend that you read up on all those stories, reading through the book of Exodus and Joshua is great and through the Kings and Chronicles and even the prophets tell us all kinds of crazy things about what this family tree did. But that, that family grows into thousands and then into millions. And from that, we get people, names, leaders like Moses, Joshua whole book of the Bible uh, dedicated to the life of Joshua, people like Gideon. We get a guy like Samuel who was a a prophet who begins to anoint a king and then we get kings because the nation grows into a kingdom. So you get names like David and, and, uh, and Solomon and Hezekiah, these great names throughout history that all began with a promise made to an unknown herdsman somewhere, Abraham. And the laws that God gave his people, they did a decent job of keeping all of God's people on track. I mean as a result, the Jews did become very exclusive as they tried to be, uh, separate themselves from the rest of the world. Now, uh, the faithful Jews would not marry outside of their faith. They wouldn't do business with others, and they wouldn't eat and associate with others. And so then there becomes this division between the Gentiles and the Jews. And they, they weren't perfect at all. In fact, there were huge portions of Israelite history where like most of the nation turns their back on God and they, they dive into other faith. But God always preserves a remnant of this family tree because his plan was to keep his promise that he made to Abraham, that all of the people of the earth will be blessed. And listen to this, god it never was God's intention to keep the Jews in isolation. Instead, God used the nation of Israel as an incubator for his plan. You see that? He's gonna let it live in there and grow and mature until just the right time when he sends Jesus into the world. God's plan was always to include the Gentiles in his plan for reconnecting everybody back with God's love. And in this moment, in Cornelius' house, Peter and everybody there gets to see it, gets to see it. Peter saw a vision at first. that said, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. Cornelius has this vision. Go down to Joppa, get my man Peter. Come on back up here. Peter walks in the house and is like, oh, I get what's going on here. And then boom, Holy Spirit shows up. People are speaking in tongues and they're baptizing everybody. And a new new era begins. A new era begins as all of the people of the world have access to the saving power of Jesus. God finally brings to fruition, the promise he made to Abraham all those hundreds and thousands of years ago. God opens a door to the rest of the world, a door to you and to me, to let us know that you are included. You have been chosen. You receive the promise, you're loved. And God wants to know, will you have me? The invitation has been sent, but will you have me? it's what the church is all about. It's the opportunity for people to be included in God's promise. Last week, we met Paul, the apostle Paul, and we see there as we, as we uh, see his transformation that Paul actually, he becomes all about this message of the inclusion of the Gentiles. In fact, he, becomes, he calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, he clarifies very clearly what his point is to be made about the inclusion of the Gentiles. He says, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That same promise. The same promise from Genesis chapter 12. And so what does that mean to us all? That means 2020, we're, you know, pandemic COVID-19 church. Like, what does that mean? The story of inclusion. I boiled it down into what I think are three really good bite-sized take-home things. So if you're a note taker, if you know jot this down in your Bible or your notebook, uh, these would be three things that, that could help you in your prayer life and as you connect with God. And, and these, are, these are it. First is this. Inclusion means that God is faithful. I mean, let me, let me explain that. The fact that God includes the Gentiles in his promise, the fact that he kept his promise to Abraham is an indicator and, and an evidence that God is faithful. Now, it took a long time for that promise to come true. And there's a lot of times when we feel like God is slow uh, and slower than we want him to be. And we pray about something, and we ask for something and we wish something and it just takes forever. Well, God does things in his timing. He's sovereign in that way. But we never see him break a promise. And the inclusion of the Gentiles in this story means and shows us once again that God is faithful. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. I think that inclusion means that God is for you. God is for you. And I say that because I think a lot of times you might find yourself in a position where you feel like God is not for me right now. I feel like God is against me. Like things are going poorly and things are bad and just things aren't lining up and I'm just, oh God, why this, why that? Some of the biggest problems that people have with God is because they feel like God's not for them. And unfortunately, I think a lot of it might be the fault of Christians and the church and religious people who maybe in all of their piety have left the impression that we're not for you. Maybe you've had a bad experience with a church or someone that calls himself a Christian. Can I just say, I mean, I, I can't speak for them, but I want to I try to speak for at least my community of believers that I'm part of that I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that you had that experience, but that wasn't God's plan. Any more than it was God's plan for the Jewish people to be racist towards the Gentiles. You know, it's it's not God's plan for the church to be hurtful or harmful or hateful to people who aren't, you know, part of us yet. But I hope, I hope that being part of what we're doing right now can give you some hope and let you know that God is for you. He opened up the door to the Gentiles and he opens it up to you. The invitation is there. God is for you. The third thing uh, of what this means for us is it means that you've been included. This inclusion isn't just some ancient promise. It's, it's modern. It's for you too. I don't know what your heritage is, but I can tell you mine. Uh, as far as I know, I mean, I haven't done one of those DNS DNA test things. I would like to do that. They're pretty neat sounding, but I, I don't know where all my heritage comes from, but to the best of my knowledge, we don't have any Jewish uh, heritage in, in my family tree that I'm aware of. And I know that we've got some, some uh, French and German and like Irish on kind of one part of my family. I've got a great, great, great grandfather who was like full-blooded Cherokee Indian. As far as I know, those people groups weren't part of the Jewish movement back during Jesus's time, which means that if it hadn't been for the Cornelius story, and the inclusion of the Gentiles, I wouldn't know about Jesus. And that's heavy. And the same thing might be true for you, but God has opened the doors and you are included. The invitation is there. And I wanna let you know that this is a real invitation. Uh, It's been sent, maybe it's in your, your inbox right now, like you're just hearing it for the first time. You're like, oh. Wow, I never really thought about that God made this plan a long time ago so that I could know him. Maybe you've seen it come through the mail before, like you've heard this invitation, but you just kind of sifted it with your junk mail, if you follow my analogy. It's the same place where you put the, uh, you know, the political postcards and the commercials that you saw on TV, like, ah, it's later. I'm not I'm gonna listen to the Jesus story, and you file that away, and maybe you're just gonna throw it in the trash later. I, I wanna encourage you to dig that invitation back out. It's still good. There's no expiration date on that invitation. It is good and God is for you and God is faithful and you have been included in the promise. The church exists to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world and to make sure that people know that they've been invited. That's inclusion. Let's pray.